Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you're the generous type, you can be like Jerry, John, Garrett, Ben, and Janet, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or a one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store, so go check it out. Today on the show, we have Sergio Madrigal Mora. Sergio is originally from Costa Rica and moved to California to start his master's in Dr. Chris Lowe's Shark Lab at CSU Long Beach. His research focuses on the movement and aggregation behavior of endangered Pacific nurse sharks and their use of Santa Elena Bay, a marine protected area in the North Pacific of Costa Rica. Through this project, Sergio is aiming to obtain fundamental biological knowledge about the Pacific nurse shark to further inform future management and conservation of the species. Welcome to the podcast, Sergio. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. What originally sparked your interest in sharks and fishery science? Well, I guess interest in sharks goes way back to high school where, well, being in Costa Rica, like you got news um, about a bunch of the problems we have with, at the time, uh, shark finning in particular. Now it's not so much finning, but shark fishing in general, that's still a problem. And I remember seeing the news and seeing um, activists speak out uh, against against shark finning and the situation that was uh, terrible in Costa Rica and still still happening, still kind of bad. Um, but um, yeah, I, I got very interested in that topic and I felt very invested in the sharks and the fact that they were being taken out of the waters so intensively. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, like I had always been interested in nature and then having a part of the nature being removed made me very worried and very invested in that in that topic. So I remember uh, back in high school, I did a couple projects on um, on shark uh, finning and I uh, did some, yeah, you know, like the internet kind of research and the <laughs> the kind of thing you do for a school project. And that was like my my intro into, into being in, uh, interested in sharks. Then I remember watching for one of these projects, I found the, the documentary Shark Water and uh, having watched that made me even more interested and even more invested in the sharks. So I had like a very big impact on me. Um, and then, however, I, I didn't really, I thought that was like an interest for the moment, but I never really saw it as something I wanted to do in the future until much later until I was, what was it like second or third year of my, of my bachelor's in biology. Um, so, so yeah, what happened then was I, I went into biology, uh, general biology at the University of Costa Rica, and I wanted to do things that were more like lab related, more like molecular biology stuff. Then also I was pretty interested in more terrestrial things like insects and that and all that. Um, but I started helping out just because there was the opportunity at a um, algae lab, at the algae lab at the University of Costa Rica with uh, Professor Cindy Fernandez, who's an excellent researcher. And she got me very interested in algae. And then that led me to get very interested in her reef monitoring project where she did the algae part. But then uh, other professors, uh, they had a fishish part, like fish census part of the project and then an, an invertebrate part of the project. And then uh, being involved in all that kind of got me diving, got me diving, then got me in, uh, very interested in fish. And that's where I found my love for fish. And then uh, eventually, because of that, uh, they 
sent me to this really cool opportunity where I got to go to Cocos Island, which is uh, uh, one of the best places for shark diving in, in the world. And it's just an, an, an oceanic island um, about 500 kilometers from the Costa Rican coast. It's, it's part of Costa Rica. And I got to go there to work on a, on a documentary with a, a team from Canada. And that was a documentary on shark research. And it was just like after that, I thought like, wow, shark research is amazing. This is what I want to do. Uh, but yeah, then, of course, I came back and being able to continue that seemed very hard. And there wasn't like a lot of places where I could join that shark research. So what I did was I kept doing fish community things and started learning a lot of data analysis and stats to uh, work with fish community research. And of course, sharks were included in that. And then I eventually joined the lab that works with sharks uh, from Dr. Mario Spinoza at the University of Costa Rica and did some fish community work with him. And eventually that led me to Cal State Long Beach, where I, I was able to go to Cal State Long Beach uh, mainly because of a, a, a scholarship, a, a Fulbright scholarship I managed to get. And then because um, since I was working with Mario, Mario in his time before he did his master's, he also got a Fulbright to go to Cal State Long Beach and do his master's there. He still had the content and was beginning a project with, with Dr. Chris Lowe from, from the Shark Lab at Cal State Long Beach. So like all these things came together and then the ideal place for me to go was Cal State Long Beach so that I could learn some shark research techniques there, get trained with the, all the Long Beach, all the technology they have over in Long Beach and the, the bigger projects they have in Long Beach, and then bring that back and uh, develop a bigger research project for the Pacific Nurse Sharks here in Costa Rica as a collaboration between Cal State Long Beach and uh, University of Costa Rica. So that's worked out pretty well. It's been a really cool combination of, of people and uh, cultures and places and interdisciplinary uh, experiences. So it's been really nice. I'm not sure if I answered the question there. Did I? Oh, you definitely did. Definitely. <laughs> no, that was like, that's a great intro to, you know, the rest of the interview. So that lays cool. the groundwork for my other questions. So that's perfect. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you and I met at this year's American Elizabeth Society Conference which is where I first learned about your study species. So can you tell me a little bit about the Pacific nurse shark? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a pretty recent species. And I was actually amazed about how many people did not know uh, they existed, including some of the nurse shark experts from the Caribbean and Atlantic, right? Yeah, the, the species was originally considered to be Gingamustoma uh, serratum, right? The, the same nurse shark species that was present in the Caribbean and Atlantic. Um, and it was thought that the, that nurse shark was the same species in the Pacific, which would be only the Pacific of the Americas, right? The tropical Pacific of the Americas and in the Caribbean and Atlantic, right? But in 2016, uh, some researchers uh, from, from Latin America, uh, there was a, a Costa Rican in the study and there's a, the, the lead author is uh, from Mexico. They, um, they realized that the morphometrics of the two species were different. So they compared the, the measurements of different of their fins and the proportions between fins and different morph metrics from uh, museum specimens of the Pacific and of the Caribbean and realized that they were different. So uh, with that, they declared uh, this new species, Gingwimostoma unami, and that is the Pacific nurse shark now. Now we have the two species from the, from the nurse shark genus uh, separated by the uh, isthmus of Central America. And the other interesting thing about that is that even though they've been described uh, morphologically, 
uh, as different species, there's still no uh, genetic description. So uh, that's something that we're working on. We're getting some genetic samples and we have some collaborators that we want to work with from uh, Puerto Rico that are super interested in helping us with the genetic analysis. So that's uh, future projects with that. That's awesome. From what I understand about the species, they're only seasonally in the area where you're studying them, right? So they, they actually seem to be using the, the area where we're monitoring them throughout the year. Uh, what we've seen over a period of four years of uh, monitoring with acoustic telemetry is that at least one shark was detected on 87% of the days that we monitored. So that's 87% of the days of four years that there was a shark at some point of the day in the, uh, in, inside the, the area where we're monitoring, right? Uh, this is Santa Elena Bay in, in the North Pacific of Costa Rica. However, it, what does change seasonally is the frequency and the number of sharks that are present inside the bay. And the interesting thing is that that also varies by individuals. We have some sharks that were present up to 60% of the days and other sharks which were there a few days and left and had like less than 1% of the days. And then the average of the monitored sharks or the target sharks was 37% of days monitored that they were present inside the bay. So we see there's a lot of variation between each shark and how they're using the bay. And yeah, and what ends up uh, changing really throughout time is not so much whether the sharks are there or not, but how many sharks and how much time they're spending in there. So uh, what we've seen is that it's much more likely to detect the shark during the dry season, which is the first few months of the year, than it is uh, throughout the other points of, of the year, the other times of the year. Have you noticed any differences between maybe like males and females or different size classes potentially? Yeah, we found no difference for size classes, but that might be because it's still a relatively small sample of sharks. Uh, with the analysis we're doing, we have only 30 sharks. For the whole four years, we have only 13 sharks. So the they, they have a, a somewhat of a big range for size differences. The smallest one is 85 centimeters, whereas the biggest is a little over uh, two meters and a half. But uh, the, most of them are between two meters and those two meters and a half. So that they're already adults. Most of them are already adults. And so we didn't find much uh, difference in their, in their habits depending on their sizes. Now, for males and females, we do see that they have different patterns of use throughout the year. So what we've seen for the females is that they have a big peak at the beginning of the year. And that big peak is happens throughout the whole bay, right? Like they are using the whole bay much more often uh, during the beginning of the year. So yeah, males, they have a peak in the middle months of the year. And we're still not sure like what is causing this to happen. Uh, they're detected throughout the whole bay uh, in, throughout, in this period of time where the detections are highest. So it seems like they're moving around more during that period of time, and it might be due to foraging, but we still need much more data to get more concrete answers about what they're doing. Uh, now, both males and females, they also, males also have a peak, and females have their peak at the beginning of the year during the dry season, as I said. That's when it's most likely to, to detect sharks inside the bay. And what we think that's related to is this really interesting phenomenon uh, called uh, seasonal upwelling. This happens just in certain areas of, um, of Central America and the North Pacific of Costa Rica happens to be one of them. And what happens here is that the trade winds that speed up and become stronger during the dry season, 
uh, they get channeled uh, through in between Nicaragua and the northern mountains of Costa Rica. That speeds up the winds even more, uh, causing what's called as a papagayo jet. And then this jet of winds uh, causes the the superficial layers of water to move. And that then causes deeper nutrient-rich waters that are much colder to rise up to the surface. And so we get a change in the conditions of surface waters. We get much colder surface waters during this period of time. And well, since Pacific nurseries are tropical species, they are not where we don't expect them to be uh, exposed to such seasonal changes throughout their distribution, right? This is particular for this area, right? And what we think is that since the waters are colder, since these animals are ectotherms, meaning that they take their heat from the environment, they must do something to adjust their bodily heat to these drastic changes in temperature. So uh, to give you an idea, the temperature can change from 30 degrees Celsius, 29 degrees Celsius around uh, other times of the year and go down to about 18 degrees Celsius during these upwelling events in the dry season. So we think that maybe the sharks are choosing these areas in Santa Elena Bay to avoid those colder waters uh, that they might be exposed to outside of the bay. And yeah, we have some some evidence for this, but it's evidence at the scale of days, of, of days detected for sharks. So we still got much more work to do uh, to start seeing much finer scale movements of sharks and how these can be affected by the changes in temperature caused by upwelling. Wow, that's super interesting. Honestly, I'm so impressed that like this is a pretty newly described species and it feels like y'all already know like <laughs> even with a small sample size, I feel like you guys have like such a deep understanding of them already. So, I'm pumped to see what else you guys find. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very exciting project. Uh Dr. Mario Espinosa who started the project here in Costa Rica has managed to make Santa Elena Bay like one of the most densely, like data dense uh, areas, I guess, of the country. He's got projects on, on many other species there as well. They've been monitoring uh, sea turtles of uh, three species, hawksbills, uh, olive ridleys, and so the green sea turtles. And again, with, with acoustic telemetry and also doing very similar, uh, answering very similar questions to what we're asking about the nurseries, but for turtles. And then they've done the same for snappers as well. And this has been since 2018 when the project started. Uh, and additionally to the whole acoustic telemetry, this, they've also been working on many other projects, including uh, underwater cameras uh, to study the, the fish communities, which was part of what I worked with before going to California. Uh, and yeah, and so it's really exciting to see uh, that, that uh, Dr. Espinosa has been able to develop this a uh, large amount of research projects in, such a, uh, in an area that was such so poorly studied before. And yeah, we're excited to see what, what we can learn about all this broader range of species. Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit and talk more about how you ended up in California <laughs> to do a master's where your focus species was in Costa Rica. How did that work? Like logistically, what were the challenges of that? Uh, the number one challenge was being away. Well, I guess it was it was uh, both a blessing and a curse for once. It, it was great that I was far away because I didn't really have to worry about it. Like I was focused on my courses. I was studying my things. I was developing my proposal and reading about the sharks and all the things away from the field because I, I wasn't around. And that made it made that process much easier. Whereas my lab mates in Cal State Long Beach... Uh, they would be 
dealing with all the courses and all their uh, proposal for the project and all their development of the project while they were also going out to the field. So it was like an extra load they had that I didn't have to worry about as much um, because I came back during the summer. So I had a whole year of planning, a whole year of, uh, well, two years of courses, but the first year was mainly courses and planning. I came back to Costa Rica at the end of that year during the summer. That was last summer, 2022. And uh, that's where we started tagging a new wave of sharks. And that's where I started, where I got the data from old sharks from Mario and started analyzing all of that, right? So uh, even though my project technically started in 2022, um, it was after that summer, 2022, that I started analyzing older data all the way from 2018 uh, that Mario had already collected. After I got back that second year, it was like less of a course load. So I was able to, to start analyzing more of my data. And that way, again, a great advantage because I was just working on my data. And then uh, the very kind people from Dr. Espinosa's lab were maintaining the receivers. They were still doing the, the field work around here. And I was there just focusing on my stuff. And once I finished all my courses at Cal State Long Beach, I moved back here. That was in May of this year. And now I've been like much more involved in field work and much more involved in all the uh, data management. And I'm actually taking over now for one of my students that was in charge of that uh, while I was away. And she, she was the one that was working with the turtles. She was in, in charge of the, the whole monitoring of or uh, data management of the telemetry array. And now she's passing that torch onto me uh, while I'm uh, finishing the research here to to yeah to take care of all the all the logistics of of downloading data, making sure the receivers have batteries. Uh, knowing when they're going to fill up with, with memory, you know. Uh, so it's, it's been really, really good experience to now to have to learn that process as well. Yeah, when I, was, when I was at the Bimini Shark Lab, I helped basically just retrieve and replace receivers. And that alone was like one of the most tiring days. <laughs> and it was like the shallow receivers. It wasn't the ones where they had to like go and actually dive for them. Like we were mm -hmm. just free diving and bringing them up. But like freediving and retrieving like a hunk of concrete with a receiver inside of it is, is ridiculously hard. So I wish you luck in your, um, in your receiver project. <laughs> yeah. It's actually been better because than, than California, mainly because of the cold. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, our array here is much smaller than the array they have from the shark lab that covers all of Southern California. So back when I was in California, I was helping out with those data downloads and that was way more work. I feel now it's uh, it's even better because it's a, a paradise where we're working at. Beautiful place, much warmer water. Uh, we can free dive for a lot of the receivers, which is faster than putting on all your dive gear. So it's also really nice. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's definitely long days of work trying to find them all. Sometimes this isn't good, and you gotta search even longer. The day can become much longer than you expected. Uh, and yeah, and then like getting all those millions of lines of data and putting them all together, making sure they're clean and they're going to be analyzable in the, in the near future. It's also a lot of work, but definitely I, those are great skills that are hopefully going to help if I continue this line of work, which I really, really hope to do in the future. Yep. Well, it sounds like you're in a good place for it. <laughs> you know, you're looking at a species that there's so much to learn about and clearly you've got some passionate collaborators. So it sounds good. I wanted to ask you, you, you had mentioned that you were doing a little bit of field work when you were in California to learn yeah. techniques. Mm -hmm. So were you doing those mostly on white sharks or how are you, how are you learning those techniques and how are they transferred into your uh, field work in Costa Rica? 
Yeah, I, I got very spoiled. I got to learn a lot about shark research through Cal State Long Beach Shark Lab and the Shark Lab's really cool project with juvenile white sharks in Southern California. So essentially, the Shark Lab got a big grant from, from the state to study the, the biology in general, really. They're answering a lot of different questions of uh, a juvenile white sharks in Southern California uh, because their populations seem to be going way up. More and more people in Southern California started reporting white sharks at the beach. And this is like one of the most densely populated coastlines uh, on the planet. So uh, people really wanted to, to learn and to know and really understand like how the interactions between these white sharks and the thousands of people that go to the beach every day in California uh, could, could interact, right? Like what, what was going on there? Was it safe? Was it not safe? And so, so yeah, so a lot of the methods they were using to study the white sharks there um, are very similar to what we can bring and use here for the nurse sharks. So, for example, a bunch of drone surveys. It, uh, recently, a uh, shark lab student uh, that just graduated, his name is Patrick Rex. He uh, had a really, really cool project where he used drone surveys to see the overlap of use of um, shallow waters of white sharks and surfers and swimmers and people who are using the beach, right? And and yeah, from I think it was like three or four years of data that he had, he had absolutely no negative interactions, no nothing aggressive happened between the sharks and the and the people uh, that were in the water. Uh, so yeah, so even though their question was much more different to what we're trying to answer, we're also using drones, one of which we brought from Shark Club here in Costa Rica, but to see when the nurse sharks are using the shallow waters, because nurse sharks, they form these big aggregations, these big groups where they go to shallow waters and just lie at the bottom. And we're really <laughs> interested in what that is. We think those that's uh, related to temperature. And so, again, since I was telling you, right, they're, they're affected by the changes of temperature of upwelling during the dry season here in Costa Rica. Uh, we get this little experience of how they'll behave when the temperatures are too warm and how they'll behave when they're too cold. And that can really give us a lot of information on how their behavior might change in future scenarios of, of climate change and stronger El Nino events, uh, stronger Nina events, and just generally more intense weather changes, right, with, with climate change. So very different questions, but the same method. And I got to learn that in, a, in California. And same for acoustic telemetry. Uh, we have here, I think it's 19 acoustic receivers, right? Those are the stations that are listening for the tagged sharks. They, they're what detect the sharks uh, and tell us where the sharks are around. Here we have 19 uh, covering just uh, Santa Elena Bay and a little bit of, of the Gulf of Santa Elena outside of the bay. Back in California, it was like, I think, 180, uh, a little under 200 receivers that the Shark Club had. So it was a much bigger scale project. But again, it was data that was telling us where the sharks were, at what time, and could also tell us like, how their movements would change with uh, temperature. So learning to do that in California on a bigger scale makes it way more manageable now to do it on a smaller scale here as well. Awesome. And so you said that you're you're done with your coursework, right? So you're full-time in Costa Rica again? Yes, yes. I moved back uh, in May. And now my, my whole goal right now is to try to finish by uh, next May. So yeah, so, so that'll be spring 2024. And I have to have like my final draft done by like end of March ish. So yeah, so we're going, 
real hard trying to get all this data analyzed. Uh, the deadline's coming up soon, so we'll, we'll see how far along we get. And yeah, and after that, there's so many questions still and so much data that we've collected that I really hope to be able to find uh, grants or funding uh, that can that can keep this going for a little longer and hopefully uh, get some more knowledge of the sharks before I move on to to other projects. Yeah. I guess we've kind of talked about this a little bit because you were talking about how you went from the algae lab to diving and all those things. But I'm wondering, you know, how your upbringing and any like local connections in Costa Rica influenced your current research? Yeah, so, um, well, upbringing, I guess my my family always loved nature, you know, and, and being in Costa Rica, nature is very nearby. Uh, I grew up in the city. But two hours away to the west, we have the Pacific Ocean. Four hours or so away to the east, we have the uh, the Caribbean. So we'd go there for vacations. We'll go there uh, on weekends. Uh, we'd go to a forest. We'd go hiking. Uh, you know, there's there's like so many different places to experience nature, terrestrial and marine. Uh, I remember going snorkeling with my dad at a very young age and having it be like one of my favorite things I did as a, as a kid. And all those things, I guess, started adding up, but I didn't realize until I was in, uh, yeah, studying for biology in my bachelor's degree that it was marine biology that I really wanted. Uh, there was also surfing. Uh, I started surfing when I was like 12 or 13 and would go occasionally to the beach like uh, on the weekends to spend a day surfing and then come back and, and things like that. And that was always like my 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 happy place where, where I felt best was when I, when I got to go out to, to spend the day in the ocean. So I guess uh, when I eventually got into marine biology, or I guess into biology, and then had the opportunity to get into the marine side of biology, and saw that I could go to the ocean for work, that kind of started um, sparking something there. That oh, I think this is what I what I want to do. And now that being said, after doing a lot of field work, I'm realizing that the parts that I like most about marine biology are actually the computer side of things. What? <laughs> Now I feel like I would choose a job that's like completely on the computer over a job that's completely on the field. But yeah, but still, the field work is still fun. It's still nice to be able to go out um, and be out in nature as, as a job. Awesome. <laughs> so you're supposed to be finishing your master's next year. Um, what do you hope to do next? <laughs> yeah, or do you a, know? Oh, wow. <laughs> what, what are your ideas? Um, I, guess, I guess very short term, I, I hope to, to continue the project. As I said, there's a, a few grants that I'm applying to, some of which um, provide funding for a researcher. So I hope like to be able to give myself like a small salary from either grants that we've gotten or be able to get a grant that's specifically for, um, yeah, for, for funding researchers. And that way, if I, if I can have that, I would love to keep on working with the, with the nurse sharks. And yeah, we, we still have so many questions. They're still, we're trying to start a, a project to a monitor their changes in blood hormone concentrations throughout the year. And uh, that will then be able to, um, yeah, to kind of give us an idea of how the, the reproductions, their reproductive cycles might be working as we see changes in their, in their hormone concentrations. Um, so like, those are things that will never be done in time for them to be my masters. And like, I wouldn't even have the time to be able to analyze or anything to include in my masters, but I'm still really invested and really want to, um, yeah, really want to keep the, see this through, seeing this through. 
So, so yeah, I hope like if, if I can secure some funding to continue doing some research here, I think like I'd love to do that for the next six months or a year or so. And then uh, I'd, I'd, I think I'd, I'd start applying to whatever opportunities I see, um, both in Costa Rica or abroad. Um, I think whether I think either option would be like getting a job that I, I find interesting or, or finding a PhD program that I also find interesting. And yeah, and to be honest, like if, if a PhD program allows me to continue working with the nurse sharks, I'd seriously consider that. Uh, on the other hand, I'd, I would also love to get uh, more experience on other species in other uh, in other places, other regions, I think that would be very beneficial if I eventually came back to Costa Rica and uh, yeah, and had a broader view of of what could be done here, right? What other research could be done here? Um, but yeah, I think I think short term, I'm gonna try to stick with the nurse sharks for a little longer and then see what opportunities show up and just choose whatever the best opportunity is in the moment that I have to choose. But <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm looking forward to hearing you know the the rest of your master's results. I'm excited. Sounds, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's something about like preliminary research on a species that's like newly described. That's just super exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every plot I get, it's like, Oh wow. It's the first time we've seen anything like this for, for this. Right. You're like the first person to know about it. That's, <laughs> yep, <yep. laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so what's something that you're passionate about that isn't research? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Let's <laughs> tone out like 90% of my personality. Is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess, well, outside of sharks um, and outside of marine stuff, I guess, as I said, surfing, I'm really, really passionate about surfing. I really, really love surfing, but I, I don't get to do it as much. So I'm in the city. I'm not, 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 uh, yeah, kind of far away. Like I can go every, every few weekends, once in a while. Uh, so I really wish like, at some point, I could go somewhere where surf would be closer, and I guess California was that for a little while, which was which was awesome. But uh, but yeah, and then uh, I'm also out, more outdoorsy stuff. I really like rock climbing, and also nice. wish I had more time <laughs> to rock climb more. But there'll be moments for that. Um, yeah, so uh, outdoorsy things like that, I, I really enjoy. Um, I also really like a, a music. I, I'm really passionate about music, as you can see. I have a few instruments. I'm not sure if that's gonna. Oh, be nice the camera, but yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to learn the drums and uh, I play guitar and yeah, so I, I love, I love uh, playing music as well and listening to music too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Th those kind of things are really nice. More, more nerdy things too. Like movies, love movies. I love old movies. Um, I love video games, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. <laughs> See, scientists do have personalities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between our little shark obsession, but yeah. <laughs> Between our random group of instruments, we could have a whole band. I have oh, a couple basses and a piano at my Ooh. house. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, so we can we combine. I don't know how, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we do like a two people band. Like, yeah, each of us has to play two instruments, though, at the same time. Zoom band. <laughs> That all sounds good. <laughs> Does it, though? I don't know if it would sound very good. songs. Awesome. Well, is there anything that I didn't you know, give you a chance to talk about that you wanted to talk about before we move on to the final five questions? Well, no, I guess I guess I would like to emphasize how great the collaboration with California has been uh, or like, yeah, the, the international collections made uh, that were made possible by me going to California. Right. Um, because, yeah, like 
the project here in Santana Bay has managed to be as big as it is all because of collaborations. And not only because of me, like, uh, as I said, uh, Mario, Dr. Mario Spinoza has really, really good connections as well and has been able to bring lots of gear and different funds from different places. And then, yeah, then having the connection with Shark Lab and being able to go to Shark Lab, not only can I get so much experience and knowledge that I bring back, but there's a lot of gear, a lot of acoustic telemetry gear. There's a drone that we brought over here and uh, lots, lots of um, access to possibilities that would otherwise be really hard here. Um, getting funding from Costa Rica is extremely hard and there's barely any available, especially for something as expensive and as, as specific as, oh, we're going to study this one species of sharks and track its movements 24-7, you know, and fly drones to see where they're at. So uh, for all those things which are extremely important, but usually hard to justify in uh, in places where there's not much funding available and uh, yes, it's it's it works very well to be able to have access to funds from California to grant applications, uh, foundations in in the U.S. that I've been able to to find thanks to my connection to California, and then of course something as simple as having met you at uh, American Lastmark Society. I was able to go to American Elastomeric Society all thanks to my connections with the Shark Lab and being able to go over there and being able to use a lot of Shark Lab funding to pay for my for my visit there and my registration. And of course, American Elastomeric Society supported me with the travel grant, so that also helped a bunch. Um, and because of that, I've managed to make such great connections. Um, first one, most obvious, is being able to be here in the podcast right now uh, by meeting Elise. That's so cool, I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and so nice to be able to talk about the the research we're doing in this tiny bay in the in the middle of nowhere in, in Costa Rica, right? Um, it's re- really cool to have this opportunity. And then in the last in American last Spring society, I also met some of the experts in nurse sharks in the Caribbean. Um, Dr. Chris Pratt, uh, Dr. Jeff Carrier, uh, Dr. Nick Whitney, and like I have their contacts, and like I, I still have to get in contact with them again to talk about future ideas and collaborations and learn from what they've been doing for decades in the Caribbean and how we can bring that over here and also uh, do some of the really, really cool research they've done for Caribbean nurse sharks, uh, but over here for the Pacific ones. And yeah, and, and on top of that, great connections over there and people that, uh, that I, I saw on papers on, on everywhere in the shark world and got to meet in person. So that's all thanks to international collaboration and international uh, opportunities. So it's been, it's been a great, great, great experience. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that the last thing that you said about, you know, meeting people whose papers you've read, it's so wild to put people's faces to the names on the papers. Like I presented a poster. So, you know, people would come up to me and start talking to me and then I'd look at their name tags and be like, Oh my God, (laughs) wait, that's you. And now you're talking to me. Why? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I had a very similar feeling. Um, I had um, Dr. Wes Pratt and Dr. Jeff Carrier, who are like some of the biggest names with nurse sharks in the Caribbean. They started asking me questions and really, really good questions and like pointing out big holes that I haven't covered because just because of time. And really what it was, it's that in the Caribbean, when there's aggregations of nurse sharks, it usually happens because of reproduction. But we're seeing nothing related to reproduction here in the, at least in Santa Elena Bay. Further south in Caolanco, and that's a whole other topic, we're trying to expand our research to this other area where nurse shark aggregations happen. And they do seem to be 
um, courtship behavior. But in our field side, there's none of that. So it was really interesting to get them to start asking me all these questions. Like, how, how isn't it reproduction? And like, um, and started questioning things with the context of their system in the Caribbean, in the, in the dry tortugas, and having to defend myself with all the knowledge that we had from this completely different system here in the, in the Pacific of Costa Rica. Uh, and then I answered the questions. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I went over to, to Dr. Lowe, uh, my advisor from Cassie Long Beach, and asked him, were those, were those them? I'm like, yep, yeah, those were the nurse shark experts. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, was, that was, explains really, really, why like, they were grilling me. <laughs> yeah, they, they grilled me in the best of ways. And then I got to talk to them and meet them and get great ideas from them and, and yeah, and get their contacts. So it's a, such a, such, such an unreal experience to, to be able to, to meet these people. Yeah. And from what I remember, you won an award for that presentation. Isn't that correct? <laughs> you know, you know, so I didn't win an award for the presentation, but I got a research award for to fund more of the project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, well, like, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. did a good job. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess presenting kind of helped sell my my proposal that was just written before that. So yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was actually great, great support from the American Lesmark Society. Um, the, the money that I got through, through that, a research grant they gave me has gone and will continue going into, uh, paying for the lodging and, uh, overall costs of staying at the field site. And that way I'm less of a burden for the, for the funds of the University of Costa Rica lab, since I can fund that, uh, that, uh, yeah, those costs by, by the, those Elasmark Society grant. Yeah. That's super awesome that, um you're able to like win that award and take the burden off of the lab so that your lab can then go and use that money for another cool project. Yeah, it even helps for uh, bringing over uh, more University of Costa Rica undergrad students that might be able to to help and get some experience uh, by helping us in, in our field research. So yeah, what trickles down to a lot of different people, yeah, and a lot of different positive outcomes for sure. So I think that now is a good time to go into what we call the easy part of the interview. <laughs> Um, which is the final five questions. The final five is a set of five questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. So are you ready for those? I'm ready. I kind of thought of them, but now Perfect. I remember what they were. So I'm going to have to make them up again. <laughs> That's the best way to go. I totally blanked on mine too. So what's your, what's your favorite fish? Oh my God. Yeah. That was a really, really hard question. Wow. <laughs> Oh, I'm just going to have to say nurse sharks right now. Like that changes, constantly changes. But like when you're just staring at data from these guys pretty much 24-7 and just thinking about them 24-7, trying to figure out what they're doing 24-7, worried about them in other regions where they're being fished. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess I guess if they weren't my favorite fish right now, I wouldn't be able to be working like I am and all this and all this data and all this uh, writing. Yeah. So, so it's, let's say Pacific nurseries. <laughs> That's a very fair justification. <laughs> I feel like most people just say like, my justification was just like, because I like it and they're weird. <laughs> so, so yours is definitely better. <laughs> I'm too invested now for it to not be my favorite fish. <laughs> What's your favorite memory from your career so far? That's really hard. That's really, really hard. I got, I got so many good ones. Um, if we narrow it down to shark memories, oof, wow, there's, there's, that, that's, yeah, I remember this one being a tough question. I can think of so many, I can think of so many that are just, but I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, 
American Lesbian Society meeting um, earlier this summer, uh, as we've been saying, like just unbelievable experience. And I guess it was the night after getting the grant award and having able to having met so much people and like having already been done with my presentation and knowing that uh, I have been like good results and all that. It just felt like becoming a shark scientist further on than my master's and after my career kind of felt like a real possibility, like even more tangible. Like it, it, I think it's the first time that I really, really felt like, Hey, I it might actually be able to do this like tangibly. So, so yeah, knowing that it's still something that who knows, it depends on whatever chances happen, whatever opportunities are available in the right time or not, but having been able to be there and meet so many people that have made sharks their career. Yeah. Like being around that whole group of people made me feel that it's possible and it made me very hopeful and very motivated to keep on, on working hard to, to try to get there. So, so I guess that's my favorite memory. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That was honestly, it was a great conference. It was. Like I, it was just super fun. <laughs> it was really fun too. <laughs> Yeah, the IPAs uh, they gave us also helped make that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish I'd kept my little commemorative can. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the conference <laughs> logo and on a beer, yeah. craft beer. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> so, what's your dream job or location? Wow. Um, okay, so no location. Uh, I guess as long as I'm close to the ocean. Hopefully, if they're surfing and rock climbing nearby, that's a huge plus. Uh, I'd, I'd be happy. Um, and yeah, I'll take any location that, that kind of matches those. Also tropical. I'm, I'm not good with the cold. I, I can do cold for a little <laughs> bit, but like not long term. <laughs> and uh, yeah, tropical or subtropical. California already, Southern California was a little too cold for me. <laughs> but uh, wow. uh, and, and, <laughs> you, would, you would shrivel up if you lived here where I live. Oh, I bet. I bet I would. <laughs> Yeah, my friend from uh, from Massachusetts, uh, also a student at the Shark Lab, whenever I complain about uh, Southern California winters, he'd be like, oh, you have no idea. And then a dream job, I guess, would be any job where I can answer questions about any species or ecosystem that is in some sort of dilemma or problem or any interaction with humans that's less than optimal. I hope that I can answer questions about that ecosystem in a way that those questions can help uh, look for solutions and help inform solutions. And I guess as long as I'm doing that, it's going to be, it's going to qualify as a dream job. If money were not an issue, what's one project you'd love to work on? Oof, I'd expand the array here in through like all of Costa Rica. Scratch that. It's it through like as much of Central America as possible. We have like almost no information about uh, coastal mm -hmm. shark movements throughout throughout uh, Central America, really. Um, and uh, start tagging as many species as possible. Uh, so far, we we tagged only one species that isn't a nurse shark in our area. Um, it was uh, uh, one of the tags that Idea Wild gave to us through a grant too, and it was great. And we were able to tag the lemon shark and uh, juvenile lemon shark. So far, we've monitored it for about two months, and it's been hanging around that area. Uh, since it's a juvenile, we expect it to go out of the bay eventually as it grows older and be detected on other receivers we have around. But yeah, but like there's so much more places that we can monitor. We have more money for more receivers and more money to go to the downloads and to maintenance and more money for tags to tag more species and to go on the boat and look for those other species. Uh, so yeah, so we hope that this 
first uh, lemon shark that we tagged will be the beginning uh, of uh, a project that we get to expand. And yeah, and if money wasn't a, a, an issue, I'd go tag all the sharks possible around here, see what they're doing, see, see, and hopefully use that information to reduce their interactions with coastal fisheries and uh, try to yeah get some better management on uh, on all of that. Because yeah, sharks being fished in Costa Rica is like very data deficient. Even more so knowing what's going on with different species and particularly coastal ones. There's a little bit more on on uh, open ocean species, but yeah, coastal ones are like very, very, very data deficient. So I think that's the project I would go for. Yeah, that's great. I love a large scale project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great to pay for it, so you have to do all the work and go download. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Money's not an issue, but time might be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but you could hire people. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, increase the workforce. <laughs> if there was one point or principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? Yeah, I think I think for that one, it would be like the notion that we are not isolated as a self, and in our position as humans, it's very easy to forget that we're connected to everything else, pretty much, and like. Everything we do has some sort of impact on someone else or on nature or on something. And I think if people were more aware of that interconnectedness between us as individuals and everything else, a lot of things would be better. So I guess that'd be the, the idea. I wish more people were yeah, <laughs> more, more connected to, I guess. <laughs> well, Sergio, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It was really cool. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. If people want to get more information about your project and get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, I guess they could either uh, look at my Instagram. I guess it's easy to contact me through there. It is uh, Sergio MM underscore seven seven. And uh, you could also look me up on Facebook. I go out as Sergio Madrigal Mora. And there's probably other Sergio Madrigal Moras around. But if you see one with a shark on the profile picture, that one's me. Um, then also through email, I guess, uh, my email is Sergio Madrigal Mora altogether, uh, at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to, to contact me if you have any questions, any thoughts, any possible collaborations. Um, I'm always super happy to, to talk about my project and well, and then there's of course the websites for, for each of the, the two labs. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well then those are all the questions I have for you. If any of the listeners want to get a hold of me or the other hosts, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or via email at feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some Fisheries Podcast merch available on Teespring. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening in. And remember, humans are one small part of a whole ecosystem. Beautiful. <laughs>